0: This program contains subject matter and language that may be triggering to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Thunder Podcast, a mental health podcast. I'm your host and Thundercat, Shelton Fisher, and I'm so glad that you could join me today. On today's episode, we are going to learn our ABCs, but instead of all of our ABCs, we're just gonna repeat the first one twice. That's right, we are going to be talking about my experience in the Alcoholics Anonymous program. Now, fair warning, these are my opinions and expressions about this program. Um, This does not reflect what the program actually is, And it is a very good resource for people. I highly recommend people going to meetings if they need them. Family members going to meetings. Even um, things such as Al-Anon are big helps. Um, But this is just my perspective of my experience going to meetings. So I mentioned several episodes back about going to AA. Um, I went because... I felt that I didn't have any other options. And for me to feel the feelings that I felt in having alcohol be such a contributor, especially with my family and my father um, being as heavy of a drinker as he was, I knew that I had a pretty good foothold in falling into addiction. I began drinking when I was about 13 or 14 years old. I had a neighbor, and he was very much like a grandfather to me. Um, he was an older gentleman, and he would go around and drive through Charlotte and do odd jobs. Like, he would cut people's grass, he would plant people's trees and bushes, he would, you know, help build things. He was very much a jack-of-all-trades um and he's another influence that helped me learn about good work ethic but he was also a product of the 1940s he experienced a lot of life Uh, his childhood was very different from what a traditional childhood would be um and he was also in the navy and so he had traveled the world he always used to tell me that you know if i would just enlist in the navy that i could see the entire world and i would be taken care of for the rest of my life and he was a very good person with his old mentality of how things are or were at the time um he drank whenever he was a kid it was very easy for kids back in the day to get alcohol and you know drink like the big boys And so he sort of treated me with the same philosophy. I would ask him if we went by the gas station, if if I could have a beer, and he told me I could. And so he was not only like a grandfather figure to me, but a drinking buddy as well. He used to get me these big cans of Steel Reserve, and like I thought I was the coolest thing ever because I was drinking that nasty shit. And like, I would come back to my grandmother's house good and just plastered. And I would go in the back bedroom and fall straight asleep. My grandmother would wonder why I was so tired. Um, But it didn't stop me, you know? And so with that being the beginning of my drinking career, you can only go up, right? So up in proof, up in alcohol content. And when I was 18, my dad told me that you're old enough to fight for the country, so you're old enough to drink. And so he allowed me to drink in the house. And I had my, my beer and my liquor, and he had his beer and liquor. And I thought it was awesome, you know? And I really felt like a man, being able to come home and unwind after a long day at work and like, you know, just crack one open and sit at the table my dad and just talk shit and it never really posed a problem to me I remember it being real bad with my dad however whenever the frequency in which we were going to the liquor store increased to me I didn't mind taking him because he would also get me a bottle of something whatever you know I was hoping to get um But it wasn't until we started buying half gallons every other day that I realized something wasn't quite right. And it got to a point where I had to put a lock on where I kept my liquor because I didn't want him to steal all of mine. Because if I would have left it open, he would have wiped out every bottle I had. And so there was one morning I had worked... I was working at the big box store and we got off at one o'clock in the morning. Um, at that point in time when I was working there and I had worked that night and woke up the next morning to him messing with the lock on my quote unquote liquor cabinet. And when I called him, I asked him what he was doing and he was like, Oh, uh, You think you could share a bottle with me? But I realized this half gallon that we bought a couple days prior to was gone. And so I told him no. And then he started asking me, you know, insisting more. And I told him no, that he would drink it all. And he got so mad at me. I remember he was like, well, goddamn you, motherfucker. You know, I let you live in this house and you don't have to pay rent. This is how you pay me. Fuck you, motherfucker. And then he slammed the door and he would go sit back in his chair and he didn't talk to me the rest of the day. And it was tough, you know, it was tough living through that. But I always told myself, I'm never going to be like that. I'm never going to get to a point where the alcohol consumes me more than my sense of morals. It never dawned on me anything about mental illness whenever I was drinking because I didn't really start working to get diagnosed until 2017. Um, and I had lived in it so long that I just thought it was a normal way of life. Like if I got sick, I would just drink alcohol. You know, the higher the proof, the you know, more it's killing off germs inside of you. And I would always find these little justifications to get what I wanted in you know being able to drink it was just so important to me and it wasn't even important to me to drink so much as it was just to have because I would have half a bottle of bourbon at my disposal but I would feel the need to go and get more because I knew that I was going to drink it that day and I knew that if I ran out that it was going to be a little while before I went back to the liquor store And so I adopted this mentality. I kept it for years and years. And it became very obsessive. So much so to the point where I was all about being able to get the most bang for your buck in terms of spending the least amount of money on the highest drunk I could get. It started out drinking beer and things like that. I knew how many beers I could have before I started feeling a buzz but then it escalated into liquor and um, with the liquor in my adulthood um, 2016 is when I started working my current job and over that course of time what I would do is I would binge drink on my four days off and I would detox on the days that I had to work I knew how many shots I could take in rapid succession to be able to be sober by the time my wife was home from work on my days off. And I would have like a list of things to do, right? And it's like shit that needs to get done, like help out around the house, do laundry, do dishes, you know, whatever, because at the time she was working and... She couldn't do it all. And so I agreed to help. And what would happen is she would leave for work at like 7 in the morning. And I could have two or three shots when she left. Get a little buzz going on. I would drink about four beers. And then by the time 2 o'clock rolled around, I would have another two or three shots. And this was a daily thing for four days unless it was the weekend, which is so bizarre, but it's the truth. And by the time she came home at five o'clock, I would be just sober enough to be able to answer the door and not seem too terribly like intoxicated. She would wonder why things didn't get done around the house and it would be because I would pass out on the couch at certain points in the day. Um, I've woken up to You know, my dog's making messes in the apartment that we were living in at the time. And, you know, I would wake up to wet clothes in the washing machine that I needed to do something with. And I wouldn't have an answer for where my time went, but I knew how to sort of divert the questions. And so that was always an issue. I used to make points to go and run errands in routes that I would pass a liquor store um, and I would stop and I would find a way to pay for the alcohol even if I didn't have money for it at the time. And towards the end of my drinking career, I'd gone from beer to liquor back to beer to higher octane beer where it it would either be malt liquor or craft beer um, just to get me high. And I was even stopping at gas stations on the way home from work and Paying for 16 ounce tall boys with spare change in my car and I would try to keep spare change on a regular basis in my cup holder for that exact reason Um, And I would drink whatever I could on the way home get a good buzz by the time I hit the driveway and then I Would just drink at the house like nothing ever happened when it comes to alcoholism There are people that will tell you that alcoholism is not a disease. And they're partly right. They're right in the sense that the choice is made. The argument will always be there with addiction, no matter with alcohol or drugs or anything of that nature, that, oh, it was a choice that they made. And although that's true, the part that makes it a disease is not necessarily the physicality of the drinking but more so the mindset behind the drinking and with enough of it the physical toll that it begins to take through detox it becomes a disease of the mind in a obsessive way it gets to a point where all you can think about is drinking where you're going to get the next drink um If you're gonna have enough money for it and if not how are you gonna come up with enough money for it and so having this understanding of what it had done to my father in the year 2020 I went to my first AA meeting now I'm gonna preface this by saying finding your first AA meeting is difficult at least for me it was I googled it and you can filter things out, but with COVID happening, a lot of the things that would normally be open weren't because they couldn't facilitate under the statutes that were in place at the time for people being near one another. But once I found my first AA meeting, it was like, it was on like Donkey Kong. I could find a meeting just about anywhere I needed to. And it turns out that there are tons of resources for this type of thing. I mean, you could be on vacation in a completely different state and be able to find an AA meeting in the area where you are. Like, it's it's that widespread, even in other countries. Countries where drinking is, like, heavily glorified. You could still find a meeting. Just as a little side note here um, for anyone who is or is thinking about trying to find a meeting if you go into the app store of your Android or Apple device there is an app called meeting guide and it will have a thumbnail of a blue background with a white fold-out chair that is a Alcoholics Anonymous app that will allow you to find these meetings wherever you need to find them whether it's on zoom or whether it's in person you can have a meeting anywhere in the country anywhere in the world if you wanted to with the power of zoom and it's it's very handy um, to anyone who needs that resource and so I highly highly recommend downloading that if you were considering going to AA or have a loved one who could use the help Um, just keep in mind for family members of alcoholics There is a program called Al-Anon that you can attend and it's about being family members or like close family members with an alcoholic and the stages that you need to go through to help them along the way. Um, But just know that a person will not receive help until they are ready to receive help. This is not something that you can force on anyone. And as much as you want them to be better, they have to be willing to make those steps. So um like I said just a little sidebar there. So I go into my first meeting and I take a seat and um every meeting is different depending on the place or depending on who is running the meeting. And so this particular meeting was just very much an open book. They would give a topic discussion and everyone in the room would go around and share stories of their experience with said topic um and kind of give a before and after in certain cases of where their life was versus where it is now and it really is beneficial it really very is much like therapy in a way i took a seat at this big fold-out table and um I was a complete stranger. I didn't know anybody there. And it was honestly a little embarrassing just in the sense that I didn't know what to expect. And they start off the meeting by saying the serenity prayer, which I mentioned in a previous episode. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. At the time, as they were saying that, wonderful prayer I was mouthing along watermelon cantaloupe because I had no idea what the prayer was and I immediately kind of got scared that it was gonna be like a church setting that I was gonna get hit upside the head with the Bible but on the contrary in AA versus the Bible they have what's called the big book and the big book is about a 400 some odd page book that has the 12 steps Of recovery according to Alcoholics Anonymous and stories in the back of the book from the doctors who wrote the big book Um, and this has been in circulation I think since like the 1930s maybe around the Great Depression I can't remember off the top of my head but it was very interesting to be able to see people relate to this book so much and even when I would read it there were passages and things in there that I just resonated so heavily with. And despite my first concern being religion, because I'm more of a spiritualist than I am a religious person, um, when I read the first story in the book and the idea was presented that God doesn't have to be the God that everyone knows and loves and has on their t-shirts and you know he's not the buddy Christ right God according to the big book can be whatever you need him to be or her Um, God is a higher power that you can talk to sort of like an imaginary friend but can help you sort of break down and flesh out the issues in your life that involve your addiction. Ultimately, it is up to the individual to be able to make the changes necessary in their life to live a better life and to break the addictive behavior. And they even have a chapter in the book for the agnostic, someone who comes in AA without a spiritual belief. And what they explain about agnosticism is that people who are alcoholics always have faith that they're going to be able to get their next drink, right? It doesn't matter what it takes. It doesn't matter what it's going to you know, entail. They are going to get their drink one way or another. And so basically in that chapter, it breaks it down to say, Take that much faith that you had in your ability to obtain your high and put that faith in yourself and treat yourself as your higher power in order to stop and analyze and break things down. And after I read that, it just sort of sold me. I was ready to learn more about this because I've never been presented with the idea of god being something other than this big like fucking demented man in the sky who has nothing else better to do than hold a magnifying glass down on the ants that he's created and so with that newfound belief i felt more capable than i've ever felt in being able to avoid a drink because i was having so much fun learning about myself um And they encourage you to have sponsors in AA. And what a sponsor does, it's not somebody that like pays to advertise with you or anything like that. It's a person who you can contact no matter what. And it's almost like having an immediate sibling. Um, Just a person that you could call about anything and be able to talk to them, to have them sort of talk you off a ledge when it comes to drinking. And to put situations into perspective so that you don't act on the urge to go and drink about it. And so I had a wonderful sponsor at the time. Um, I really enjoyed being in his company. And uh, he taught me a lot. And the only thing that I didn't care for is that a lot of my problems sort of would get deflected in a way. And compared to how old school AA used to do things back in the 80s, old school AA was very different because cell phones didn't exist and you weren't in as high communication with everybody. Like, you know, the invention of social media, you're able to see where anybody is at any given moment, right? But my sponsor was very set in, like, I don't know you, you don't know me, I don't know how you behave, and so how am I supposed to believe that you're doing what you say if I'm not seeing you do it? If that makes sense. And so I I sort of had a hard time with that. And I still learned a lot and I kept going to the meetings. Um, But I tried a Zoom meeting one time and was able to connect with people Um, in another part of the state um, that wasn't too far away from where I lived. And I began to talk with these people. And I felt a lot more well-meshed with the people that I met on the Zoom meeting. And the thing is, is that, like, the Zoom stuff, it's good because you can have a fellowship with people in a group setting And be able to talk about things um, face-to-face or not so face-to-face. You can hide your face and share your story if you're new. Um, You don't have to worry about judgment because, like, you, you start off with a group of people that can get to know you over time. And I fell in love with these people. You know, when COVID restrictions were lifted, I was the first one to be like, yeah, let's meet up, like, I met them in person, and we've had coffee together, and I had a sponsor in that group. Um, He's a very sweet old man, and he also taught me a lot and helped me work through my issues. And I don't want to get in too heavy about what all the big book has in it as far as individual step work goes because that is very much a personal battle that people go through and it's not like a one-size-fits-all situation because as helpful as the program is and as useful as it can be um, it really does it helps a lot of people turn their shit around really quickly and um, I just don't want to play into it and have people thinking that this is what they're going to expect and that there isn't any work involved um, aside from going to meetings because it takes a lot to have to dig within yourself and really root out the issues as to why you behave the way you do um, in terms of addiction I think I read or heard somewhere not too long ago that when you begin to treat addiction in an individual. You're treating years of unresolved trauma and not just the addiction itself. But through these people and through their experiences, I, I did, I learned a lot about myself. And I learned ways to be able to be at peace with myself with a lot of the things of my past. Um, just as far as things that I would beat myself up over. And this was also around the time that I was beginning to be diagnosed as an individual with borderline personality disorder. So not only am I researching about that, but I'm also researching new things into, you know, alcoholism and um, behaviors that I have and realizing like, oh yeah, I do that or I did that and it's not uncommon. And like, you get this desire inside of yourself to want to help other people in the same way that you're being helped. And the tricky thing with that is, is that there's two different types of people that I've noticed in meetings. And that's people who are there to contribute and to speak about their experience, strength, and hope, and other people who are there by court order. And they do not care to listen to what's going on. They're just showing up because it's their responsibility to do so and um, they're just trying to get a sign off to get their license back but I was in it to win it you know and I don't think I've ever been more at peace with myself than in those beginning days of going to the meetings and having fellowship with people that I normally you know wouldn't otherwise and to this day I have yet to touch a drop of alcohol like I just The desire for it's not there, and I understand now how to control myself and how to reel myself in in situations where alcohol is present, but I stopped going to AA, and there's a reason for that. Um, My belief is that addiction is very much like religion in a sense that it's everyone's personal walk with whatever the subject may be um and i've gone from a human who was actively trying really in a sense to destroy themselves from the inside out um to a person with inner peace and an understanding of my mind and body um and So, a lot of the medications that I take, I feel can be sort of gate-kept in the Alcoholics Anonymous community, and so, like, my ADHD medicine, I'm on Ritalin, and so, with that being a controlled substance, um, that can be tricky, Um, and my usage of herbal medicine, such as CBD and the such... um, I'm not sure how well that's received in different meeting settings because a lot of people in AA are also part of the Narcotics Anonymous Program or NA because NA is sort of like a knockoff um, in some people's view in the program and the teachings and the experiences are more common with people who are alcoholics as well as addicts because you're treating the same addictive behavior. It's just different substances that drive you to do things. I began using my herbal medication um, late last year, as a matter of fact, and it's gotten to a point where it benefits me in many ways that aren't self-destructive. I don't obsess over it. I don't hold it to any high regard to a point where if I had to put it down that, you know, I couldn't do it or I would just be devastated and, you know, everything like that. You know, it would be a bummer for sure, but I'm not 100% heartbroken over it. But I'm very easily distracted and I'm very high strung at times. And I will go and forget to eat if I don't stop. And like take time to do so. I will not listen to my body in that regard. For whatever reason. And my herbal medication. Helps me to remember to eat. As it activates my metabolism. And um, it just. It has a lot of good uses. In the mental health community. Um, And I really. My worry is that showing up to a meeting and the sudden knowledge of my usage um, would deter people from being involved with me uh, because the argument is there that, oh, well, you're not really sober. And, you know, if that's the case, then so be it. But I know that I'm not the same person that I was. The things that I do now, I do responsibly and under my own roof and legally and it's just given me new benefits and new perspective on things. Um and so that's sort of my defense with that. But AA is a very good program to be involved in. I highly recommend it if, you know, you or anyone you love has an addictive tendency towards any sort of substance. Um, Because a lot of the principles that are taught in there can be translated into real-world usage, whether it's about alcohol or not. Um, And it teaches you how to flesh things out. You'll do a lot more writing than I think you ever anticipated that you ever would um, about yourself and about your past. And just, like getting it out there and so you know i encourage anyone whether you're an alcoholic or not to revisit your trauma revisit your trauma with intention to be able to squash it and put it in the past for good um there are healing things that we can do that are so minute um that we never taken into consideration just because it sounds like work a lot of the time but it's very necessary and it it keeps you in check and it's inspiring at that you know like this podcast for example is something that I started with hope to be able to help people with my experiences and you know finding guests with um similar experiences in different areas of life just to share stories and to you know talk about things in the past and talk about growth and what is done for different people to be able to finally make those changes and grow and be the person that they've always wanted to if I took nothing else away from there it's that experience strength and hope are what provide a safe environment for healing to begin. And so this is for everybody, whether you're in recovery or not. Um, Have faith in your story. Have faith in who you once were and who you are now. We see all the time on the Internet of people making changes in their lives on Facebook and on Instagram and, you know, whatever you may follow people on. And there's always life updates about how they've, you know, excelled or got promotions or, you know, thank God I'm not this person anymore. But, you know, shift the thinking. Instead of saying, thank God I'm not that person anymore, say, thank God I had the opportunity to be that person because now I know what I don't want. Now I understand what was wrong And why what I'm doing now is the best. There's only one you that there ever has been or ever will be. And so, take the opportunity. Take the time and heal and compare and contrast. And just make time for yourself to really think about the past and how far you've come. It's definitely not an easy thing to do to put it all into perspective, but it is very possible and it can become one of the most important gifts that you may ever give yourself in this lifetime. I encourage you to face it and to get it out and to squash it. I want to thank you again so much for joining me on another episode of the thunder podcast. Um, if you're not already, please follow, please like, and do all the things for all the places that you may listen to this podcast. Um, it really helps people to find this, you know, find this podcast and and be able to make it a part of their routines in the same way that you have. I can't thank you enough for the love and support that you know I've received through doing this um it feels good to have something that i feel i'm somewhat good at and are hopefully making a difference with if you need me you know where to find me on instagram under the handle thunder all one word and on tiktok under the same handle thunder all one word be kind to yourself this week and to others um Take on whatever challenge lays ahead with grace and with deep breaths and understanding. And please remember that if no one else tells you, I love you.